0: I'm reveling in my Methodist heritage. Born and raised a Methodist, I actually sang in the choir. I know. We didn't have robes or anything, but we did have special seats. So everybody's kind of sat facing the front in pew, pews, and there are over the pulpits on this side. So I'm doing it wrong, am I? Pulpits on that side, and the choir's on that side with the, with the pews facing kind of at right angles. And being basses or tenors, we sat at the back with my friend and my brother and so on, trying not to laugh. You know what it is when you're not allowed to laugh somewhere? Not during the singing, that was fine. I love the singing. Um, sometimes the sermons are okay. <laughs> no, they, it's fine. But just, you know, someone would make us laugh and then we'd start giggling and then trying, when you're not supposed to laugh, you know. So, no laughing this morning. No. Okay. Now, it's great here because you can laugh and people just think you're full of the Spirit, so it's, uh, <laughs> it's cool we didn't have that excuse. Not quite the same way anyway. I'm not saying people weren't full of the Spirit, we just didn't have that manifestation. In fact, um, I really appreciate my heritage in Methodist Church because the hymns we sang contain so much good stuff... I mean, you have to be discerning like you need to be discerning today. But they contain so much good stuff. Great doctrine in that. And the hymn we sang at the beginning, and then the song that Marcus did just before. Um, so if you pay attention to some of the stuff we're singing, there's some amazing scriptural truths in there. And I think I probably, as a, a youngster, picked up more from singing hymns than from reading the Bible, to be honest. <laughs> and it's stuff that's really stuck with me. Even in Sunday school, we used to sing, Jesus loves me, This I know because the Bible tells me so, or because the Bible tells me so. And I think it's one of the most fundamental things you need to learn. If you know nothing else today, I want to tell you this. Jesus loves you. You might not think it. You might think, well, I see a little evidence of it. But it's the truth. I promise you, Jesus loves you. Um, And everything else kind of comes from that. So even what I want to share this morning, it comes from the very fact that Jesus loves you. God, our Heavenly Father, loves us so much that he sent Jesus in the first place. We sang in the hymn, Jesus is my righteousness, and in the song that came before the notices. And that's the focus of my talk this morning, that Jesus is my righteousness. But I can't sing that hymn without pointing out a couple of other things as well. I'm really sorry, but it's just going to burst out of me if I don't. The verse, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound, fast bound, tightly bound in sin and nature's night, the darkness of our natural nature outside of God. Your eye, God, diffused, it's nothing to do with physics here particularly, okay, diffused a quickening ray. In other words, it's like God looked and the light from him just filled everything. And that quickening ray doesn't mean people started moving faster, it meant it brought them to life. To be quick is to be alive, it's kind of an old-fashioned meaning of the word, but God's light looked, and I'm sure Wesley was thinking of the story of Peter in prison, in, let's check, Acts chapter 12. He's in a pretty sorry state, James, his really good friend James, has already been killed by Herod and that was such a popular move amongst the Jews that Herod thinks Well, oh, I'm under a winner here and gets Peter in prison as well he's in prison and once the Passover's over he, he's for the chop as well and that's the situation Peter is in and he's asleep bizarrely he's asleep between guards in a guarded prison there many groups of men that were guarding him and an angel has to come and kick him to wake him up you read in Acts 12 has to give him a kick to wake him up says, come on, and, he, and, and Peter says, it's like the cell was filled with light. And that reminds me, thine eye, your eye, Lord. You looked, and you filled the cell with light. My chains fell off. Oh, you can't sing that without lifting your arms a bit, can you? That weight's gone. My chains fell off. I love to lift my hands in worship, because it's just an expression of, I am free to worship you, nothing is holding me down. Anymore. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light, my chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee, left the prison. So it was a dream, so amazingly bizarre till he got outside. But that is such a wonderful picture of what it's like when the light of God's love shines into your life and you you respond to the kick and you wake up, (laughs) you get up and follow. But like I say, that's a slight um, discretion, because that's not my thing particularly, but it kind of all fits in together. What I particularly want to talk about this morning is about how Jesus is our righteousness. And I'm not going to approach this from some deep theological way, because you can dig and dig and dig, and there's so much to get into. But as a young Christian, this truth... That Jesus was my righteousness was such a key understanding for me, to realise that this being right before God is not something I have to try to do, and in fact, if I try, it's I'm on hiding to nothing. It's pointless. In fact, let me read to you uh, a scripture, a couple of scriptures. The first one is from 1 Corinthians chapter one and verse thirty. And this is for the NIV. Just so I'm not just preaching from hymns, I'm actually using scripture, pointing towards the fact that hymn is based on scripture. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. He says, It is because of him, it's because of God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness. And for good measure, our holiness and our redemption. Jesus is many, many, many things for us. And God has made him our righteousness. There's a beautiful picture in Zechariah chapter 3, which I love, and it always reminds me when I read it of this idea of us being clothed in God's righteousness. It's in Zechariah chapter 3, and at the beginning of the chapter and Joshua the high priest is stood in front of the angel of the Lord and actually Satan's on the side accusing him as well so it's a challenging situation to be in and he's dressed he's the high priest but it says he's dressed in these filthy robes or filthy clothes I think that probably was the high priest's garment you know he's actually dressed in these amazing garments It's all described in the Old Testament, what the high priests had to wear. And yet, before God, they're just like filthy robes. Our best effort, our best effort, is still like filthy robes before the Lord. Anyway, this is verses 3 and 4 of Zechariah chapter 3. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. I understood that God took away my sin, and that he addressed me instead with fine garments, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing fact. And if you actually believe it, it will utterly transform the way you think and the way you live. At least that's my experience of it. For me as a young Christian, realising that I didn't have to worry about not being good enough, because I couldn't be good enough. That's not to say that I don't have to try and live right. But it's in the context of knowing that God has already declared me clean because of what Jesus Christ has done. My righteousness, my attempts, okay, they're like filthy clothes. That's fine. God loves my attempts anyway. My trust not in my, my trust is not my attempts. It's in the righteousness I have through Jesus Christ. So in another of the verses, no condemnation, now I dread. Romans 8, I think, isn't it? Romans 8, 1. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. And because of that, bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. It's amazing that God crowns us. You know, he's the king. And yet he, somehow he crowns us too. And I don't know it's speaking of an end time thing, but we can boldly approach the throne of God now. We can boldly, in worship, we boldly approach him. That's our heart expression. Not timidly tiptoeing, but boldly. Yes, we may come with all sorts of feelings and emotions, even sin that we're carrying, and we feel unclean. And he wants to deal with that. And there are ways of dealing with that. But you know, he sees you a son. He sees you a daughter. And that's what he sees. Let me read to you a very well-known story that Jesus told, Um, but for me it pictures beautifully this transformation of being dressed in new clothes, and so it's the story of the prodigal son, and it's in Luke 15, and I'm just going to read verses 11 to 24, you say just, that sounds a lot, but it's still only a part of the story, and I'm actually reading it from the voice. So we won't put this up there because we haven't got that. So just listen, it's a story I want to tell you. Once, there was a man, he had two sons. One day, the younger son came to his father and said, Father, eventually I'm going to inherit my share of your estate. Rather than waiting for you to die, I want you to give me my share now. And so... The father liquidated assets and divided them. A few days passed and this younger son gathered all his wealth and set off on a journey to a distant land. Once there, he wasted everything. Everything he owned on wild living. He was broke. A terrible famine struck that land and he he was desperately hungry and in need. He got a job with one of the locals who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man felt so miserably hungry that he wished he could eat the slop the pigs were eating. Nobody gave him anything. He must have been hungry. (laughs) So he had this moment of self-reflection. What am I doing here? Back home, my father's hired servants have plenty of food. Why am I here starving to death? I'll get up and return to my father, and I'll say, Father, I have done wrong. Wrong against God and against you. I have forfeited any right to be treated like your son, but I'm wondering if you treat me as one of your hired servants. So he got up. And returned to the father. Returned to his father. The father looked off in the distance and saw the young man returning. He felt compassion for his son and ran out to him, enfolded him in an embrace, and kissed him. The son said, "Father, I have done a terrible wrong, in God's sight and in your sight too. I have forfeited any right to be treated as your son." But the father turned to his servants and said, Quick, bring the best robe we have and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. Go, get the fatted calf and butcher it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Because my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and has been found. I love the way this version puts it in the end. So he had this huge party. <laughs> now I know that the story continues about the older son, but I just want to focus on the, the younger son for a moment. This young man came to a point of revelation, a realization of the mess he was in. He had to sink as low as looking at the food the pigs were eating and thinking... You know, that looks quite tasty. <laughs> My brother and I have a younger brother, and in our teenage years, we used to do farm work in the summer holidays. Driving the tractor was the best bit. But we did have to do other stuff, and one of the jobs they gave us, I'm sure they were kind of smirking at the time, we had to go and clear out this pigsty. Now, it wasn't a pigsty that pigs just recently vacated, because actually that wouldn't be too bad, Actually smelly, but at least it would shovel up pretty easily. This pigsty had been empty a couple of years, so it was all baked hard. And this was a hot summer, August probably. And so trying to dig it out, the dust, this isn't haymaking dust, this isn't housework dust, this is two-year-old pigsty dust. Oh, it was appalling. And I can't read this story without remembering me and my brother trying to clear out this pigsty. You know, we would have been really glad on one of these. (laughs) We were were trying to improvise stuff around our faces to to keep the smell out. But this really means something to me when I read this story. And, you know, the son, he comes to this point of realisation and he thinks it through. He rehearses, his, he gets his story together. What is, I'm going to say to Dad when I see him. I'm going to have my, my talk. He, he anticipates something much worse. He anticipates something much worse. He, this is not a foregone conclusion in his mind. And so I imagine he, he tries to scrub up. I mean, he's not going to come straight from the pigsty to his dad's. I mean, for a start there's probably quite a few days' journey anyway. But I imagine he, I don't know what clothes he's got left, if he's bankrupt and broke. But I imagine he tries to look the best he can. He probably washes more than once (laughs) to try and get rid of the smell. But that's how he comes back to his dad. And his dad runs and embraces him. Smell and all. Just embraces him. And he doesn't just embrace him and accept him. He does something he couldn't do. He puts clean clothes on him. He puts this robe. I don't know what this robe looked like. But I I get the impression it was the best robe they had. So all the dirty stuff comes off. And he's clothed with this robe. And probably barefoot, if he had any shoes, they were replaced anyway in a ring just to show status as well this is what the father sees when the son comes back as wesley puts it we are clothed in righteousness divine for I me mean, this story the prodigal son story illustrates just how much we are accepted just as the father accepted the son you know your heavenly father accepts you even when you stink <laughs> You understand what I'm saying? You are unconditionally loved. Do you know that God loved you before he sent Jesus? is not just because he didn't... It wasn't like, oh, well, I'll send Jesus now, I loved you. It was out of his love that he sent Jesus. God has always loved us. You know, it doesn't matter what state you might think you're in, God loves you. And this picture, the way he's given this new robe, robe it pictures so beautifully the way that we are declared right with God. Our relationship with God is restored. And as I said earlier, believe these things and it will transform the way that you live. It certainly made a huge difference to me as a young man trying to deal with all the sorts of temptation that life throws at you and growing up and everything, and wanting so hard to follow Jesus, but falling down so, so many times. And then actually the more you go on you realise, well actually that's part of the journey of life. You know, you fall, you repent, you receive forgiveness, you learn hopefully, and you move forward. And all the time, God is that loving Father running to embrace us, running to embrace us. Never, ever, he never, ever withholds his love from you. Don't believe anybody tells you different. He never, ever, never withholds his love from you, no matter how you feel. Even if you don't feel him for months on end, he does not withhold his love from you. He is that amazing, isn't he? He is amazing. I wish I, all my Christian life, I'd been able to understand that in every moment, because there are times when there haven't and it's been a struggle, and it's coming back to this revelation and understanding that it's such a help. I wonder how this young man lived after he'd been received home? You know, a week later, what was happening in, in this household? Because he's learned now that he is accepted, no matter what he's like. He's loved unconditionally Even when he stank You could think Oh it doesn't matter then I can just live how I like Because God still loves me And it's true He does still love you And he would still love you But I believe I picture This young man being so Amazed At the love he has received That he He has a revelation of his dad. (laughs) If I can put it like that. Where he loves his dad so much and he just wants to live to please him now. And that for me is the Christian walk. I don't I don't try to live right in order to be accepted by God. I am accepted by God. And it's out of that acceptance that I want to live to please God. It's a very different way of understanding it. I don't Try to live by God's ways because I want to follow the rules. I don't read the the stuff in the New Testament, the the, the encouragement we have to live in certain ways, do this, don't do that. I think, oh, there's this rule and that rule. I think, great guidance. If I can live like this, it'll be a blessing to me and wisdom for my life, but it's going to be such a blessing to the Lord. And that's the motivation. Jesus is my righteousness. I don't need to try to be accepted by God. I am accepted by God. Hmm. I'm just going to go back um, to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. I'm going to read the verse that I read before, and uh, the verse that follows it. So this is 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 again, but also verse 31 in the NIV. It is because of him, God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, Jesus. He is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, in this chapter, in this part of the letter that Paul's writing, just beforehand, he's just been saying... Um, about, um, he talks about the foolishness of God being wiser than the human wisdom. And then he says, Not many of us, when we were called wise or noble, or, you know, he's basically saying, We're a bunch of riffraff, really. <laughs> our, our righteousness, our holiness is nothing, really. And then he says, It's that, that verse I've just read, it's Jesus. He is our righteousness. And so he says, so if you want to boast, boast in the Lord. Don't boast in yourself, but boast in God. And for me, that is what worship is. When we worship together, it's my opportunity to boast in the Lord. Because he is so good. He is so wonderful. And I guess worship was for me one of those other things as a young Christian was such a key thing. Learning really early on the importance to learn to express yourself in worship. I, am a, I have got a bit of a musical background, so that kind of helped, I suppose, because I used to like to play the piano and, and sing. But expressing our heart in worship is it's much more than just a ritual we go through on a Sunday. And... I've already intimated you know, the words we sing. You know, I, I've been singing those songs um, this morning, those hymns, those songs, and they've been feeding me as I've been singing them. I've been re- some, I'm reading that and thinking, the scriptures that Sarah read at the beginning is, well, stuff that comes on a Sunday, you think, wow, that's so good. It's not filler. It's not just to pack it out, just while we sing a few songs and some notices. I, yeah, we do have a bit of a routine of that, I accept we do. But it's all for purpose, and if we're doing stuff which isn't for any purpose, let's do something else, I would say. And to sing, and to worship, and to sing truth, especially like from those hymns we sang this morning and so on. And just allow them to feed you, and to make your boast in Jesus Christ. Now we follow Jesus together. And I know at this particular season we really want to emphasize the person of Jesus. I just want to say to you, just encourage you to fall in love with him again. Just allow your heart to be open. Whatever else is going on, fall in love with Jesus again because everything else that matters comes through him. Return to the Father I just want to say, if there's anybody, you've you've been close to God, but you've stepped back and you're kind of wondering, just return to him. Like the story of the prodigal son, he will run to you with open arms. He wants to embrace you and accept you. Please don't try and make yourself good enough before God, because you can't accept what he's already done and then live to please him. Let's keep it simple, as Trevor was saying last week. Let's keep it simple. And let's make our boast in him. He is our God. He is our righteousness. And we worship him together.